Welcome to the Student of the Game podcast, where we break down the life, strategy, and advice of successful individuals who are students of their own game and masters of their own craft. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to the episode. This episode of the Student of the Game is brought to you by our sponsors, Communication, VIP, Training, and Coaching. Need coaching to improve your public speaking, sales pitches, interviews, or presentation skills, or just get rid of those ums? My man Vincent has got you covered. Contact the communication experts at Communication VIP. This will be in our show notes so you can contact them. And let's get back to the episode. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Student of the Game podcast. I'm Tim Stone here with Ian Cushing. Today we've got a special guest, Mr. Matt Dyra. Matt, thank you for joining us. Guys, thanks for having me. Matt is the Vice President of Client Relations. Vice President of Client Relations, yes, at Croft, at and, Croft Frost. and Frost. Yes, so okay. we're excited to have him. He's going to tell us a little bit about what that means and how he helps people build courage and create wealth. So first, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to what you're doing. How far do you want to go back? Uh, as as go, back go back to your younger years when you were a little bit younger than we are right now. Yeah, uh, 21 okay. years old. Yeah, I, well, I grew up in Pennsylvania in a town called Latrobe, which Latrobe has an interesting history. Uh, Arnold Palmer is from there, which that's pretty cool. I caddied for Arnold Palmer as a kid. Oh, wow. Um, Mr. Rogers, I'm sure you guys are, everyone's familiar with Mr. Rogers. So Mr. Rogers and Arnold Palmer went to the same high school. They were a couple years apart, but same high school. Um, I played basketball a lot with uh, Mr. Rogers' nephew. Uh, So yeah, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania playing all kinds of sports. Sports was a big part of my life. Still is to some degree, even though I'm a lot older and don't participate in organized sports much anymore. Uh, but yeah, sports were a big part of my life. I went to college to play football. Um, I also was a golf professional for a number of years. I turned pro when I was like, just after college. I was not a touring pro. I was what's called a club professional. So I, I did a lot of teaching and I and I uh, worked at clubs, higher end clubs. There's a club in Richmond and then there's a club in South Florida. The one in South Florida is um, typically top 10 in the world. That was a very fun experience. And that exposed me to what extreme wealth is. Hmm. Uh, so that was a, that was a, I mean, that was a master's degree in life just by watching these guys operate. Yeah. I got to play golf and hang with people that frankly, 22 year old Matt had no business being around. Hmm. So you got to learn a lot of lessons about money and life and success while playing the sport you love and getting paid to do it. It's true. Um, yeah, one story sticks out in my head. I got to play golf with Jack Welch. Okay. And I was probably, is. I was 22 or 23. To be honest, I had no idea who he was. I knew he was somebody because he was a member at this club. Mm-hmm. And so I play golf with him and another dude who's a legend. His name is Vinnie Giles. He's a legend inside the golf community. Uh, and if I was, I'm 43 now. If 43-year-old Matt teed it up with that group, I wouldn't have got the ball on the tee. But 22-year-old Matt had no idea. No idea. 
No, I, no, I, I don't know who that is. Is, is he a golfer? Uh, Vinny Giles is uh, one of only, I think, two or three men to ever walk this planet who has won the U.S. Am and the British Am. He was also uh, a member of several Walker Cup teams. He was a Walker Cup captain. The Walker Cup is the uh, it is the Ryder Cup for amateurs. So that's a big deal. And then he he made his fortune. He was an agent for professional golfers. Okay. So his life was golf, and he's a legend. He's still alive. He's still a legend. Cool. So uh, after your uh, professional golf career, where did you go? And where did you end up after that? Yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed that part of my life. It was fun. I packed up everything I owned. And I, put it, I put it in my Mazda Millennia, and I drove from Richmond, Virginia, to South Florida down like near West Palm Beach. And I did that every six months. So naturally, I didn't have a lot of stuff because I had to put everything in the car and then drive. Um, but I knew I enjoyed it, but I knew that it was temporary. I didn't want to do that when I was 50 years old. I knew that. I didn't have a family at the time, but having one was something that I just thought was important to me. And it's hard to do that. Not impossible, but very hard to do that when you're packing up a car and leaving every six months. So, um, to be honest, word kind of got out that I was looking to do something else. Yeah. And was that I, a golf thing that was taking you back and forth from Richmond and Florida? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a club in Richmond. There was a club at, in Florida that I was pros at. I was going back and forth every six months. And then word got out amongst the membership that I was looking to do something else. So I, I was lucky. I had a bunch of job offers really without interviewing. And I got into the insurance business. I was probably 24, 25 years old. And I got into the insurance business selling life insurance with Northwestern Mutual. And I did that. I stayed there for like nine years. Uh, I enjoyed it there. I grew up in the insurance business there. I, under, I got a, a full understanding of what it took to succeed there. I built a pretty nice practice there too. Uh, and then I, I think I kind of outgrew it because I was doing a lot of things outside of that. And um, then I went independent. I went independent in 2009 and opened what uh, what is called now the Dyer Group. Was that your first real exposure to sales when you got into insurance? Yeah, uh, a like yeah, I'd say so. I formally yes. I mean, in the golf business, I was still selling. Uh, it was fairly easy because you're dealing with clientele who are there who have money and want your stuff anyway. They're going to buy it whether you help them or not. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, marketing and selling. Yes, Northwestern was my intro to that. Yeah, and, and oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think? Do you think like being involved in so many sports really like transferred to business and kind of that mentality? Do you think that's helped you along the way? Uh, yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Um, uh, go like all my life, I play a sport, and there's a certain level of responsibility when you play a sport. And when you're good at that sport, then there's more responsibility on you because you have to carry the team as a leader. So there's there's even more. Um, so just doing what was required wasn't it didn't seem like work because I like to do it anyway. Uh, it was play for me. Uh, so doing it really didn't it didn't register as work. Um, and that just became kind of who I was like doing the extra stuff the liftings, the runnings, the studying, it didn't bother me. Um, 
and it built it built that discipline muscle that I think is um, one of the main reasons why I'm successful today. I think that's such a common trait um, with people who grew up playing sports is you have that ferociousness to go after stuff. You never let anything hold you down, especially yeah. transferring that to sales. It's just like, oh, you're unbeatable. <laughs> yeah. You learn a lot of lessons from sports. And I think that's a really important thing to get involved with or some sort of team aspect. Uh, is that something that you're trying to instill in your children? Yeah, no doubt. I encourage them to play sports. They don't have to do it, but I encourage it. Um, I was just talking to JD about this the other day. Uh, one of the lessons my parents taught me was I was never allowed to quit, ever. Didn't matter. If I said I was going to do something, I had to do it. And there's a few instances that stick out in my head where I really wanted to quit. And I voiced my opinion. I'm like, I, I want to quit this. One time it was something silly. I was doing it. I was drawing. I like to draw as a kid. And I was a fan of the Michigan Wolverine. So I was drawing the Wolverine and it just wasn't turning out right. Um, so and I wanted to throw it away. And my dad's like, no, man, you got to finish that. He's like, you can start it over, but you've got to finish it. I ended up finishing it. It was one of the nicer things I ever drew, but I wanted to give up on it. Uh, and then there was another, there was another instance where it was actually during a sport. We had these things when I grew up. It was called the uh, the Elks National Hoop Shoot. It was a free throw shooting competition. Did they have that where you guys grew up? Mm -mm. No. So there's this free throwing shoot, this free throw shooting competition where you get, uh, like, you start locally, and if you if you win that one, you advance and advance and advance. And I remember, I think we were at the states, and I had done well to get there. You had to win one or two competitions to get there. So I was there and there was this one kid that I saw, and I saw his kid every year and he was really good. In my mind, this kid never missed. So we're warming up and my dad's underneath the basket and he's rebounding for me and bouncing it back to me. I'm not even paying attention. I'm more watching this other kid. And I'm like, dude, this kid's not missing. I can't, I can't win. He doesn't miss. So I'm getting, you know, I'm a kid. I'm, I don't think I'm a teenager yet. I'm, maybe I'm 12, 13. And I'm getting emotional and I'm getting mad. We're not even in the competition yet. And my dad took me like under the bleachers and had to have a talk with me. He's, you know, about quitting. He's like, you're not allowed to quit. You're here. And I was like, but I'm never going to beat that kid. And my dad, I, I remember him saying this. I can still see his face. He goes, I don't know if you've noticed. You haven't missed yet either. But I was so focused on what somebody else was doing uh, that it was distracting me from what I needed to be doing. Um, and so I, uh, that, that lesson I take with me too. one, I can't quit. And two, you can't worry about what other people are doing. I can't compare myself. Like if you're, if you're focused and you're doing what you should do, you're good, good enough. That's great. That's a, a good lesson there through that. And, uh, I was thinking about the drawing of the Wolverine and at the time, such an, insignificant thing that it's just a drawing it doesn't matter if i don't finish it but the fact that your father made you finish it and now that's a lesson that you've learned and you remember it as an adult even though at the time it was probably such an insignificant thing it's this piece oh, there's, of paper there's i'm gonna no stop drawing on that. i'll have to bring it up to him but i there's no way he remembers that yeah but you remember it is what i'm sure. saying yeah yeah and so that now when i'm parenting my kids like i recognize that it's these little insignificant moments that could have impact on them. So, um, I mean, I'm not perfect, uh, certainly, but I, 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 I remind myself daily 
to one, be patient with them, which I'm not great, but I'm getting better. And the two, like I never know what they're going to remember. So I better be good all the time. (laughs) Kids will remember a lot. They do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to hear the stories like when they're my age. I can't wait to hear the stories that they share about me. They're going to they're going to roast me, I'm sure. Like Mm -hmm. we roast my dad and my mom and it's fun. Uh, and they don't remember half the stuff that we're talking about. Uh, so I, I look forward to the day when they're roasting me about the life lessons I was trying to teach. Mm-hmm. And they're growing up in the era where dad has TikTok and everything's recorded. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dad's <laughs> not cool. Dad, I, I take the, so much joy in embarrassing my children. So much joy. <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk about when you started Dyra Group. And you're selling insurance. And how did that progress towards Croft and Frost? What, what was it like going out on your own first? Going out on my own was pretty difficult. I remember leaving Northwestern. Um, uh, they escort you out of the building. Really? I think it's just for compliance reasons. I don't know why. Uh, and I remember being very emotional leaving there, although it was my choice to do this. And I remember thinking, man, am I making the right choice? Uh, and then... Um, yeah, it's, it was extremely difficult. You're starting from scratch. I left a lot of money on the table when I left Northwestern, a lot of money. So I had, not only was I, was I starting over, I was starting negative because I had what's called in the, in the insurance business renewals and it was pretty significant and I left them. So I left a lot of money just on the table. Um, and it was a struggle. Um, so I think I left in June. I think it was June 1st. And my first child was born uh, at the end of July. So there was a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I handled the pressure well. Um, but I'm still here. Yeah, you seem to have made it through. Yeah. Uh, and then um, how I got connected to Croft and Frost was really just through JD. Paul had a, Paul had a major influence on me still be on me being here because I don't think JD uh, knew. I don't think JD knew what to do with me. Although I knew I was drawn towards JD. Uh, but Paul and I have similar backgrounds. He actually started in the insurance business at Northwestern. At Northwestern Mutual. Yep. Right. So we had that in common. So Paul was like, hey, I think we need to bring this guy in. JD's like, man, we don't need it anymore. Uh, now, um, I talk to JD every day uh, mm-hmm. and JD and I are similar in some, some ways in which like we both like discipline and structure and order. Uh, so we complement each other in some of those ways. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that, the personal development side and the structure. And I know you're big on tracking everything. You're constantly posting the stuff that gets tracked is what improves. Yeah. So wh- where's your mindset on uh, your personal development? daily routines, habits, those kind of things. Um, everything that's important to me, it's, there's a number written down every, every day, not every week. It's every single day. Uh, I track all my calls. I track my income. I track expenses. Um, I even track, was I patient this day? Everything is, and if, and if I'm not, I don't get that check mark at the end of the day. And I want that check mark. Uh, so, it, it stemmed from um, in my early 20s to mid 20s. Now, maybe let me, let's say mid 20s to 30. Um, 
I, I was I was a wreck. I was a complete disaster because I went from being very structured because of sports, but it was forced upon me to then leaving. And now all of a sudden I've got all this freedom. I didn't handle the freedom well because I didn't put the, I didn't put the, the disciplines and the structure in my life. It wasn't there anymore. So until I figured out I needed to instill that I needed to put them in there instead of a coach putting it in there. Uh, when I figured out that I needed to do it and it started with a book called the compound effect. So a friend of mine sent me that book and it is still today my favorite book of all time. That book changed my life. It almost, it made it seem, it made uh, a massive transformation seem within reach because I only had to do one thing. Mm -hmm. That was easy for my mind to, to do. And I, what, what the one thing was, was reading 10 pages a night. Uh, so in that book, Darren Hardy, who wrote that book, um, one of the things he says to do is read 10 pages a night and to listen to audiobooks when you're driving around instead of listening to the radio. So th those are the, what, the two things that I did. And then that led to another thing and that led to another thing. And then it led to um, tracking and um, yeah, just over time the transformation was it happened so slow it's the compound i didn't effect. see it and then i started having people react to me differently and then that that was eye-opening and then i'm like oh i'm on something here and then my income started going up um and then it, it was just a bunch of little stuff a bunch of little stuff and that and then I, you know i track all my workouts i've tracked my workouts for more than 10 years, probably 12, 14 years, something like that. Um, and just having a, an understanding of what is required. Like if you have a baseline in your mind, that standard becomes your standard. I'm a big uh, Pittsburgh Steeler fan. So I love Mike Tomlin. And he has a saying, a saying that's called the standard is a standard. Right. So my standard is to make, a certain amount of calls every day. Now I do give myself some grace because some, some days things happen uh, and you can't get to it that day, but you still have the week. So I never let my average go below that number. So that is my standard. It will never go below that number because the standard is the standard. Mm -hmm. And for some reason I can't seem to get away from the compound effect so yeah. I, I'd seen some people recommend it and then I saw it on Audible and it was included with the membership. So I downloaded it and I listened to it. And as I'm listening to the first chapter, I open Facebook on my phone and I see someone post about the compound effect. Mm. And then uh, I can't remember what else, but I had someone mention it to me. And then last night I went to a real estate meetup and someone mentioned the book. And then just now you just mentioned it. And I think Rocky mentioned it this morning on our call as well. Rocky did mention it. I recommended it to Rocky. Uh, yeah. He's listening to it right now. And he had some takeaways uh, for the for the team this morning. Uh, I mean, I have that that book has shaped me in a way that no other book is shaping. Mm -hmm. Yeah, th there's something about it. And and the amount of times I have run into that book this past month just shows the impact and influence it has had on people. Cause it's like, it seems like it's everywhere now and it's not a new book. It's not a new book. No, no, no. I mean, I think I, 
and and it may have to do with it uh you know it's january 3rd now people have been getting into goals and mindset i carry this book it's in my bag at all times and i'm looking to see what year it was printed you know i've never heard of this book until today but i wrote it down i want to get it now you said it's on audible it is on audible if you have the membership it's free right now Uh, i don't know if they change them out but i didn't have to pay for it I can't. And then actually, the lady that was talking about it to me last night told me about this app called Hoopla, which lets you get free audiobooks as long as you have a library membership. You can get a Chattanooga library membership for free yeah. online. You don't even have to go in. Oh, that's great. This book was printed in 2010. So it's a 12 year old book now. Yeah. And it's uh, everywhere. I, I mean, it, it's timeless, in my opinion. I mean, I think the advice on here is. Uh, the advice is not just business. It's more life advice. Like I took a lot of things from this book for my personal relationships. And it, it, it has shaped those relationships too. Uh, one of the things it says in there is whatever you want more of, give more of that. So if you want more love, give more love. If you want more money, give more money. Whatever it is you want, you need to give more of that and it will return to you. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Why do you think things work that way? Um, I mean, on the love side of it, I think that when you show somebody love, you're more. It's easier to love. It's way easier. And kindness, too. Like, if you're kind to somebody, they're going to be kind. They're going to be kind back to you. It goes negative, too. I mean, the compound effect is always working. It's either working for you or against you. Mm -hmm. So if you're rude to somebody, you're going to get more of that back to you and it will compound. And then you'll, you'll be upset and you'll come home and you'll be rude. And then the kids will be rude to you. And it, it, it compounds. Everything is compounding. So my level of awareness with things like that um, is that I am so aware that the compound effect is always working that uh, that, that thought never leaves my mind. Like even like fitness and, um, and diet. Like I don't die on diet, but I'm very aware of what I eat because I know if I eat too much sugar has a very negative impact on me, but I love sugar. Love it. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm very aware of how much I'm eating because I do know that that compound effect is coming. Right. Cause if you eat sugar this week, it won't do anything to you. You won't look different at all, no. but if you no. eat sugar every week for a month, maybe it won't even do anything. It very, I mean, for Give me, it a I'm year. Super lethargic, man. Uh, yeah, it's hard for me to get going. It affects my energy uh, in a very negative way. Yeah, yeah. I, it reminds me of someone. I heard a video recently. They're saying, uh, "You want to get in shape? You can't just work out for five hours. It's not going to fix it. Mm-hmm. It's working out every day for twenty minutes is what will fix it." Yeah, that's a little bit of compounding right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, the consistency is. Super. I mean, just in life, it's just so important. Just show up every day. I mean, if you want to be good at something, just got to show up. Just got to show up. And then I hear, and I hear my coach's voice in my head. Like, if we're just going to talk about going to the gym, um, like, just show up. And then I can hear him in my head screaming, uh, "If you're not getting better, you're getting worse." And my thought was, man, if I'm here, I might as well work. I'm already here. Let's do something about it. Because I don't want to get worse. So if I'm here, let's let's work. Mm-hmm. So and 
Go ahead. I was about to transition. So if you're going to. I was, I was going to talk about in the book uh, how you were saying that the compound effect goes both ways. And it gives an example of these guys where one guy decides he's going to like eat a little bit better and work out a little bit and read yeah. five books or like five pages a night. And then another guy, he's like, I'm going to eat a little more fatty food and I'm not going to work out and all this. It's like six months in and they all you look like watch the, a cooking show. Right. And cooking, yeah. Cooking yeah. And stuff six months family. in, they all look like the same person. And then 18 months in, it's like mm -hmm. they're so far on different ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And then um, yeah. how it's negatively affecting his life. Cause he's, eating worse so he's lethargic he's doing bad at work and just doing bad at work just goes negatively into every other aspect of his life just yeah. by like you said deciding to watch the cooking channel instead of reading a book right yeah so that that example uh was in my head when i started reading this book like all right i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it uh, i'm gonna do this one thing which is reading and listening in, in the car i'm gonna do it um and in my head i'm like just get to 18 months take a look back, just get to 18 months. Uh, and when I did look back, like there was a, there was a pretty significant difference, but it wasn't like I had in my mind, like there was going to be this huge, massive, I'm a different person. You will not recognize me. Uh, you know, and I was going to be making 4 million bucks a year or whatever. Uh, that didn't happen, but it was the, it was the stepping stone to more. Mm -hmm. well, that's incredible. Well, you know, I want to hear more about, I was going to transition back when you were talking about putting in all that work. I was going to say, okay, well, would you tell us more about your work? Okay, so I know you work at Croft and Frost, Croft and Frost, but um, I want to know more about what your day-to-day -day looks like. My day-to-day -day is uh, very similar to what you and I are doing right now. Every time Tim sees me, I'm sitting in this chair. Mm -hmm. um, so I sit in this chair and I talk to clients um, all day long. I make, I'm, I have a lot of zoom calls, a lot of zoom calls with clients, helping them with the four foundations of wealth creation. And we believe the more we communicate with clients, what we found is the more we communicate, the more often, and, and the ones who are following the four foundations and in the correct order, those are the ones that are having the most success. So that's my job. I, I have a great job. It's so, it's actually very fun. So my job is to help make you wealthy. Yeah. No one's so, mad when they talk to me. I may have to fix a few problems from here to from time to time. And that's okay because the world isn't perfect and we aren't perfect as a company. And that's okay. But my job is to help make you wealthy. So tell us about the four foundations of wealth creation and what is it like you don't like what does Croft and Frost do? Like what kind of services do they provide? Yeah. Perfect. So um, the four foundations of wealth creation, one, are to increase your monthly income. The easiest way to increase your monthly income is to write your goals down twice a day. All right. So then you become more aware of what you're doing. Because if you write down something like, hey, I want to be uh, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. I want to make pick a number, 100,000 bucks a year. And then you find you write that down in the morning that will motivate you to do what's necessary to reach that goal. And on my list of goals, they're not all money or work related. There's a lot of family stuff on there. There's fitness stuff on there. There's uh, finance, there's uh, professional stuff on there. There's a lot of things on there that I write down every day um, that don't have anything to do with money. 
but I'm just using that as an example. Um, then when you go to bed at night, you write it down again. And something happens when you write things down before you go to bed. I do believe that. I think your mind works on that while you're sleeping. There's oftentimes if I have a problem um, or something's going on, I'll wake up with a whole bunch of clarity when at night I had no idea how to handle that problem. And I'll wake up in the morning. It's like, it's very easy. I can see it very clearly now. So number one, increase your monthly income. Easiest way is to buy writing your goals down twice a day. The second foundation of wealth creation is to do tax planning to limit your tax liability. Because when you increase your income, what you're doing is increasing your tax li- your, your taxes as well. Uh, we are reducing those tax liabilities. So Croft and Frost, we are at our, at our core CPAs. I am not a CPA, but we as a firm are top of the funnel, so to speak, are tax returns. And we believe that we can, if we can lower your tax liability, now you have more money to start creating wealth. But you can't do that until you increase your income. That's why they're in that order. The third foundation is to protect that income using life insurance while creating tax-free wealth. I won't get in the weeds about it, but there's a cool tax code that's wrapped around life insurance that says any money inside life insurance will uh, remain tax-free, grows tax-free, and you can pull it out tax-free. So the wealthiest people on this planet have a lot of money in life insurance and when structured and designed properly, can have a massive impact on your wealth. And then the fourth foundation of wealth creation is to invest in others and yourself and to create passive income. We do that. We have a real estate fund that's, that Tim is heavily involved in. Uh, I am also heavily involved in that. Uh, I invest in that. Um, uh, we've invested a lot in that as a family. Uh, and it produces cash flow. Every month I get paid on that. And that's a, I've always wanted, uh, I knew I wanted to be in the real estate game at some level, but to be honest, man, I did not know how to go find the deal. I didn't know how to recognize the deal. If I did recognize it, like, all right, how do I find the debt? How do I service it? How do I find investors? I didn't know how to do all that stuff. I don't know that I even wanted that kind of risk. So what JD has done with the, with the well fund, he's provided all of that stuff for us. He's done all the work along with Tim. Tim's integral in the wealth fund. Uh, so all that work is done. We're just investing in getting the returns without doing all that front end legwork. So those are the four foundations of wealth creation. And that's what I get to talk about every day. Yeah. How many times a day do you think you go through those four foundations? Oh, gosh, I, I, I don't know. I couldn't. I mean, every conversation I have or mm. I'm talking about one of those foundations. And if it's a new conversation, I'm having basically the dialogue that we just had. I'm having that dialogue. Sometimes the conversation is steered in a certain way. Um, but pretty much every one of my conversations uh, is is that what we just talked about. Yeah. And that's why we're able to help so many people, I feel like, is yeah, at least one of the four you're probably struggling with. If not, you're probably very wealthy and, right. and like, you're in a good position. And yeah, you can always get more passive income and do the life insurance and create more wealth. But yeah, uh, one yeah, of the four, the someone's at least missing part. all of them. That's the coolest part about what we do because we can help anybody, any age, uh, any any income level or wealth level. We can help somebody who's massively in debt with low income. We can help them with the Onward Accelerator program. It's 100 and 
97 bucks to join that, to get around people like us, like JD, <coughs> excuse me. And it's every other week in a Zoom call. And we're getting ideas. Our, our mission is to change the way you think. And if you're around the same people all the time, you're not going to change the way you think. And if you're in massive debt with low income, I think you need to change it because it's not working. And then we, on the complete other end of the spectrum, um, we can help people with huge incomes, reduce their tax liability and create more wealth for them using the, the life insurance piece is a big part. The wealthier you get, that becomes more and more a part of your plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to JD the other day and he's like, we're on, we're in the business that everybody can't escape death and taxes. Right. Like everybody's got to pay taxes. Everyone's going to die. So we help people save money on taxes and protect their family from death with life insurance. That's right. That's, so right. That, that, that's a good position to be in as a business. And you are literally able to help every, at least every American in our situation. For sure. Yeah. For sure. No doubt. Yeah. So uh, a, a big thing with Croft and Frost is training and every day consistently training skills, your sales skills. What is like one of the biggest things you've learned um, as far as sales uh, during your training that you've, you've been able to work on and that has benefited you? I, uh, before I met JD, I, um, I bought Cardone university for my company. And that was in like the fall of 17. I think it might've been the fall of 18. It was the fall before the big event he had in Miami at Marlins Park. So whenever that was. Uh, so I started training on Card on You um, around that time. And it was so uncomfortable. Because so, role playing was a big deal. We had to role play. I hated it. Absolutely hated role play. It was uncomfortable. It was, I was terrible at it. I didn't want to do it. Uh, but I kept training. And I kept pushing play every single day. Uh, and then some of the stuff that he said started to get in my head. Then the role play became easier because I knew how to handle that objection. And I knew some things weren't an objection. It was just a complaint. Uh, I did not understand at first when I started training, I didn't understand what he said about just agree with him. The number one, the first role of selling is agree. I didn't, I didn't quite grasp what that meant. What it means is, um, uh, if they say the sky is green, they're not lying to you. That's their perspective. So you just agree with them. You may not agree with them, and that's okay. You're not. You're not. You're agreeing that that's what they believe. Um, and if you start by the disagreement, you're never going to get to a close. They're never going to agree to a close. So getting over objections, understanding how to handle those objections, understanding which one was a complaint and not an objection, just say, yeah, no, it's a lot of money. What we sell can be a lot of money. And I, I hear people all the time, man, that's a lot more than I'm paying my current CPA. And that's a lot of money. Like, you're right. It is a lot of money. I hear that that's actually a really great way to sell. This is like before you sell them, say like, hey, this is going to be very expensive. And either they're going to be like, oh, that's not so bad. Or they'll be like, well, he wasn't lying. Right? Yeah. I think that's yeah. so powerful if you have like an expensive product at least. Yeah. yeah the funny thing is about what, what we do is 
yes, you may pay our fee and it may be higher than what you're currently paying your CPA. But I would encourage everybody to go look at what their tax bill is, add that to what they're paying their CPA, then tell me if we're expensive. Mm-hmm. Or not. Or not. Like I pay JD way more than I paid my CPA. And I do it happily every year. Yeah, because it makes sense. It's a it's an investment to pay your yeah. accountant. Yeah. Yes, there's so much more value. Yes, I'm going to pay him more than I would pay another CPA. But the value I get out of it is immense. And then, let's be honest, you're buying access too. Like we have access to things that I bring to my clients now. Um, and they're happy. They're happy because they don't have access to like the well fund. They don't have it. They don't know how to do that sort of thing. Like me, I wanted to do that, but I didn't know how to accomplish that. So I bring that to people uh, and they're like, man, this is great. So they want to buy that kind of access. Yeah. The energy deal that we did, the renewable energy deal. Uh, the way I view that was if I don't tell my clients about this or for they're that losing matter, money <laughs> or for that matter, my friends, I'm not a very nice guy. Because we I mean, that was that is a very good deal. And if I didn't tell them about it, if they find out about it later, they were like, man, why don't you tell me about that? Hmm. I had a, I have a story to tell about a sale I was doing just last week. And I know that the guy I'm talking about is going to listen to this. And we're also bringing him on the podcast pretty soon. Uh-huh. But he was saying uh, we were like $200 more expensive than his current CPA. And he was considering not doing it. And I was like, look at this. It costs this much to get your taxes done. It costs $200 to work with us. That's not like, that's not, that's not a bad deal. Like the, this price is what it costs. Like, that's just what it costs to get your taxes done. And then we cost $200. Like if you think about it that way, like it it makes sense. And that's where we provide the value. We're going to provide way more than $200 worth of value. And then it closed and paid. Yeah. I heard Cardone talking about that when he was selling cars. Mm-hmm. Oh, he so here's he the said, thing is I listened to that mm. video the same morning on Cardone yeah. University and Joke. used that clothes later that day and it yeah. worked. Do you know what he's talking about, Ian? I don't. I was just actually about to ask. What are y'all, what are y'all talking about here? It sounds so. So Cardone was selling a car when he was selling cars back in the day. And the car was more expensive than the guy could have got it down the road. And he said, yeah, here's what the car cost. Uh, it's, it, what was it? it was like, I don't remember. The it number. was like a $2,000 difference. $2,000. <clears throat> okay. Car costs that. Uh, it's $2,000 more because you get me. And the guy's like, oh, okay, cool. Let's do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that's and, what, and that's here's another saying. quote that I also got out of Cardone University. I, I say so many Grant Cardone quotes on this podcast, but I'm training every day on his platform. So it, that's where it comes from. But he said, people don't want to be sold anything. They want to be serviced and then they want to buy something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the way it works. And if you have that perspective, it like, you know, really changes what you're doing. Like, I'm not going to try to hard press this guy to close. I'm going to give him value and then he's going to buy something from me. Yeah. Yeah. I've been challenged with creating what we're calling the number one client experience. 
how do we make the experience of being a client of Croft and Frost so unparalleled? No one's going to want to go anywhere else. Uh, so that, that, that has been my JD's challenge to me, which I think is a great challenge. I love it. I mean, it's, it's, and it's primarily based on service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some ideas you're tossing around for that? Number one client never going to leave because they're getting such a great experience. One, we have to perform. We have mm-hmm. to perform. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate. Uh, but if you perform, uh, but don't communicate, they're probably going to leave. Right. Uh, so communication is key. So I've got with my team, and we've laid out, all right, here's the roadmap. Here's your daily action plan. Here's how many clients you are. You now get to call. Don't have to call. You get to call these people now. And your job was to build a relationship with them. Uh, so we're, uh, for me, I'm calling, I'm calling mine once a month. They're going to hear from me whether they want to or not. And sometimes it may, it may not be any conversations. And that's okay. But they're going to talk to me 12 times a year, minimum. Yeah. Uh, and having having this the the four foundations of wealth creation, there are plenty of opportunities to to communicate with them. We're having the onward experience February twenty fourth in Chattanooga. That is another great reason to call our clients because if they really like what we're doing, they're going to want to attend that event. That is going to be a killer event. Ian mm-hmm. should that event. Yep, yeah. Ian will be there. I think Tim already tried to recruit me. What oh, is yeah. it? Yeah, you got to go. It, it's going to be, it's going, this is the first one. JD had similar ones in the past, but this is the first one called uh, the only, the first onward. Um, and I think it's going to grow into something uh, uh, very, very special. Yep. 10x level. It's going to change awesome. the way you think. There's no doubt. All mm-hmm. right, I'll be there. No yeah. <laughs> I'll send you the link. Can I count on you? <laughs> I've sent I've sent you a lot of links for the stuff we're doing. I, I keep my people in the loop. He does. He really does. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, oh. So back to not only providing service, but you have to perform. And I was listening to a video today, and I don't even know what it was about. And I actually only listened to like a minute of it, but I remember him saying that he bought something from this company that claims to have the best customer service in the world. And he's like, and they do, but they don't tell you that their product sucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so, he, you know, he was trashing this company that yeah. um, had great customer service. He called them and they, you know, took care of everything, but it didn't change the fact that the product was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what we have is very, very special. It's not, it's not just taxes. Like we're, we're improving people's lives. Mm-hmm. And, like for for me, um, and for my family, and a lot of other people that I speak with, giving is very important. Like, um, so I have a philosophy with money that you have to do three things with it: you have to give some, spend some, and save some. And I tried uh, doing uh, any any combination of those three, but it, and I was just dissatisfied. It's like something wasn't working. When I did all of those things, I finally felt fulfilled with money. And there was a big difference. Like there, you have to do all three of those pieces. Um, 
And for me, when I uh, spending money seems like it's the easy part. That was for me the hardest part because I was afraid to spend because I didn't know when the next dollar was coming. So I would just hoard and hoard and hoard and I wouldn't spend any money. And then I started doing budgets and you know, we still do a monthly budget as a family. We still do it. And that was just permission to spend. Then when I went and spent, whether we went on vacation or if I went on a golf trip with, with the boys, uh, I was much more at ease spending the money because it was permission. I had the permission from last month, Matt, to spend that money. Um, and it just became a lot easier. And then uh, uh, investing money, I had a big fear of well, what I do with it. Um, and having something like the well fund and investing in real estate, uh, I just want to dump as much in as, can, as I can now. Like I have an account now that I just store money. And every time there's 50 grand in that account, I send it. It's gone. So it just, everything becomes a lot easier. And when you have a plan like that, when you've got a plan with every dollar that comes in and you know, you got to give some, you're going to spend some and you're going to save some. Um, it just becomes so much easier. Life becomes a lot easier for me personally. I become more patient. I become a better dad, a better husband, a better friend. Um, just more at ease. I find that the, the giving one is honestly the most fulfilling to me. Oh, no doubt. Giving is just, oh man. And, and that, I think that's also an, another big thing behind people um, coming back to wealth. You know, a lot of people love to have the luxury of security. I think a lot, a lot of it is being able to give as well. Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. that one of the things that y'all, y'all teach in the onward as well? Uh, we don't, um, we don't specifically say it. It's part of what I do. So mm. I was talking to a, a client today and she's getting a $150,000 bonus in like six weeks, seven weeks. And she's like, I don't know what to do with it. So I, I'm like, here's what you do with it. You got to give some, you got to spend some, you got to save some. So they, they already gave, but they didn't know how much. I'm like, well, whatever you're typically giving, just use a percentage. That's what you do. I say, like, and for something like this, you need to celebrate it too. You got to go spend some, do something stupid with it. Something mm -hmm. fun. And then the yeah. rest, you be responsible with the rest. Put some in the well fund. Mm -hmm. like there, she mentioned something about she wanted to go to Hawaii. There's enough money to go to Hawaii. You should do that. Tim's loving the well fund plug right now. I already know it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're currently raising money for a real estate deal. So that's what I've been talking about most of today to people. Um, so are you by any chance a follower of Dave Ramsey with, with uh, his budgeting I, principles or, yes, or where I, do you stand there? Uh, I like Dave Ramsey, um, even though you would think I wouldn't because I've been in the life insurance business for 20 years. So um, I was a financial mess. And Dave got me out of that financial mess. I also understand that I've graduated from Dave. Now, I still apply some of the same principles in my day-to-day -day life that Dave uses. Um, and I also recognize that Dave is marketing towards uh, a certain set of people. I am no longer in that set of people. 
So, but there's always going to be a revolving door of people who are in debt. Once you get out and you have mastered the, the principles that he teaches. Great. Yeah. And then at that point, maybe it's not for you anymore, but that doesn't mean that he's wrong. No, 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 no. I follow it to a T. I mean, Tim, I taught it at my church for like five years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I like Dave. Um, yeah, he's, he's great. He serves yeah. a purpose. There's no doubt. And he's right. Uh, and you're not going to win an argument with him because his argument is, if you're this, then do this. Right? He doesn't go outside of that. And his black mm-hmm. and white world is, if, you, if you're if you this, this is what you do. Yeah. I, I listen to some of his videos pretty often. And you hear people ask questions. And having listened to Dave Ramsey as much as I have, it's like, you know what his answer is going to be. And, yeah. and it's like, well, why, why is this person asking? You know what he's going to say. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, but I, I've run into people that absolutely have terrible things to say about Dave Ramsey. Yeah. And I was curious. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I got nothing bad to say. I mean, yeah. I, um, I have learned to use um, debt as a, as, as a positive wealth making tool. Mm-hmm. I, no, I no longer have bad debt. Bad debt will just drown you. Um, but debt that produces income that is paid for by somebody else, I'm all for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I was telling my wife last night, I said, uh, I think JD was talking about it last night too. And I'm not, yeah, I can't remember exactly, but if you can't write it off, if it doesn't pr- produce income, or you can't pay for it in cash, don't buy. Yeah. So we were just uh, we we just bought a big uh, a big SUV. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. We write the whole thing off. Yeah. So why would we not do that? I mean, we, I wouldn't go just buy that just for the sake of buying it, but we needed a big SUV. Um. So it it fit the profile of my philosophy with money and met a need. Mm-hmm. yeah because you don't want to spend a dollar to save mm-hmm. a dime no but if you need to spend that dollar and you're going to save money right you should <laughs> yeah no doubt and it, it made it made um it made the purchase of that vehicle way easier knowing that i'm going to save and i know how much my tax bill is going to be lower this year because i purchased it so in april or october whenever we file I know my tax bill is going to be X amount less. Mm-hmm. I also got 0% financing on the deal too. So that truck will actually make me money this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the, the type of stuff that you learn being around the people that think this way. Yep. Because some people will, maybe they know if I buy a vehicle at the end of the year, I can write it off, but do I have to pay cash for it? Do I have to spend $60,000 on this vehicle in cash to write it off? Or, you know, that's the type of stuff that not everybody knows. Mm -hmm. Um, Most accountants hopefully do know. Yeah. And then using other people's money is, is, uh, it's something that you can really, you can get ahead pretty quickly by you. I mean, if I had paid cash for that car, it would have been a net loss for a few years. Um, but by not paying cash for it, it's going to be a net win for 
a couple, probably I think two years, it'll be a net win. Um, and then I, then I, I'll pay the thing off in three years, if not sooner. Then I haven't, now I got an asset. The thing made me money. Now it's paid off and now I have an asset. Hmm. Yeah. It changed the way you think. Depreciating assets. Sure. But sure. Asset, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let's, let's jump into advice. Um, so the last question will be any advice you have for the listeners. But first, what, well, you also covered this. What book have you given away or recommended the most? No doubt. It's the compound effect. For sure. But 10x any other book I've read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to so, read that because of you guys now. You should. And you're going to start seeing it everywhere for some reason. It tends to happen. Well, Google's listening to us right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's for people saying it with their mouth, not just Google, but yeah. Yeah, it's almost like if you're looking for, if you're uh, shopping for a red Chevy truck, uh, you're going to start noticing red Chevy trucks all over the place. Mm -hmm. they're, they're always there, but now you're yeah. aware of them, which leads me to my piece of advice, awareness. Awareness, I think, is uh, is the key to success. Because if you are unaware of what you're doing is hurting you or helping you, you'll likely continue. If you're unaware of what you're doing is hurting you, you'll continue to do that. If you're unaware of what you're doing is helping you, you won't know to keep doing it. And then uh, my other bit of advice beyond awareness is tracking. But they kind of tie together. So when you're aware, uh, then you can track. And when you start tracking, your awareness goes through the roof. And whatever you track will improve. Boom. So uh, I think we've covered everything. We got, we got advice. We got book. Oh, here we go. What's the greatest lesson you've learned in the last 12 months? To act quickly. Hmm. Not overthink. Act quickly. Mm-hmm. That's something I've been learning as well. Uh, trying not and, to add time to the process. If I can take time out of it, even if I'm wrong, if I take time out of it on my head. There's a, a quote I heard in What It Takes by Stephen Schwarzman. I was listening to it last month, and I wrote it down when I heard him say it. And I've heard Grant Cardone say it twice now, I think. And I think I heard JD say it since then. It was time wounds all deals. Time like, wounds all deals. That's good. Mm -hmm. The longer you wait, the the worse it's going to get. Yep. Mm. Time is bad. Time is bad. Because if you, I mean, you think about it. Uh, let's say you got a client with a problem and you don't get back to him. Or in a relationship. You haven't communicated something with your spouse or a friend. Uh, they're they're going to be thinking about it, and naturally, their thoughts will go towards the negative, and it will continue to do that, and it will spiral. But if you can get out in front of it and just communicate right away, even if you're wrong, at least you communicated. So it could only get worse by not communicating. So communicate very quickly. You got a client with a problem, call them immediately. That's some great advice. It is. Is there yeah. anything else you'd like to leave with the listeners? 
just to piggyback on that last thing there, problems are opportunities. Yeah, if you got a client, if you can solve a problem, I was talking about this with one of my guys Friday. Uh, there's there's a client with a problem. I said, man, if you solve that problem, you're a hero. Going, he's going to buy. From, not only are you a hero, you he's going to buy from you. And it, he did, he did. Fed sold that deal last last week because he fixed the problem. And and it, it elevated the guy's certainty. So the the deal was closed as soon as the problem was solved. Right. Where could someone find out more about you or possibly get in touch with you? I'd say Instagram is probably the easiest way. All my information is on Instagram. Website, email, uh, direct message. It's all right there. Yeah. Uh, what is it? At the Matt Dyra. The Matt Dyra. D-I-R-A. The Matt Dyra. Well, that's great. I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you to everyone who listened. I'm Tim Stone with Ian Cushing, and we are signing off.